לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. Welcome to another edition of Parsha Talk, a special edition because it's not the Parsha we're talking about this week, it's Sukkot. Joining me, my good friends, Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanovsky, Anshay Chesed, New York City, Rabbi Barry Chesler, Solomon Schechter, Day School of Long Island, I'm Rabbi Ali Malam at Highland Park Conservative Temple, Highland Park, New Jersey. So, Sukkot, Sukkot, free associate here. What are you thinking about as... We start the holiday of Sukkot. We're going to start the holiday of Sukkot. It's coming Friday night. Rabbi Kalmanovsky, lead us off with your thoughts, themes, ideas. Oh, there's, there's, there's so much to say about Sukkot. And I would say that it, it, one thing you might think about is the symbolism of the booth. You might think about the symbolism of the Arbataminim, the, the four plant species that we use in our ritual. Um, I, one of the things that I think about Sukkot, which the Torah calls Zman Simchat, which we call Zman Simchatenu, and the Torah gives us the, myth, the mitzvah of Vesamachta Bechagecha, you should rejoice in this holiday, is that Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, they're heavy, they're, they're deep in a good way, sense of Yom Hadin, uh, Yom Kippurim, you know, you, 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 get in touch with the way you're of your own inadequacies and the, and the you know rather infinite moral demands that are on a human being for excellent life and you beg god for forgiveness for your shortcomings i i you know who, who i am religiously there's a real deep sense of satisfaction of these days but they're not fun they're deep and sukkot it, it's it's like a squoze out, you know, th- those holidays sc- have a tendency to squeeze out, smush a little bit, your joie de vivre, and Sukkot brings it back to you. Sukkot is like you, 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 you've investigated yourself, you have thought about, you know, the ways in which you like, you would like your life to be different, and in Sukkot you get to you get to celebrate for all the ways that life already is great, and and you gather in, you know. M- in, in ancient times, you literally gathered in your fall, your fall produce. You celebrated that, but here we can gather in our metaphorical produce and say, "Man, look at look at all the blessed parts of our lives." I want to pick up. Let, let's dwell in that theme for a second, um, and and I want to offer the idea that there are different kinds of species of joy, uh, as there are different species of love and different species of hate, and so. Are we meant to have one species of joy? Are we what are we what kind of joy are we meant to have? And what do we really mean when we say Zman Simchatenu? Uh, are we accessing different kinds of joy when we come into the sukkah? That's what I'm I'm thinking about when you mentioned this. And of course, uh, you know, I'm playing on the idea of species and simcha and all the kinds of things that you said. The 
the the experience, the deep experience of Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, and the deep satisfaction, the deep emotional arc that we have, uh, it occurs to me that we walk into the sukkah, we have a certain feeling, we have a certain feeling around being with people, we have a certain feeling with the lulav, are the different species of joy that we're accessing here, and what would some of them be, or what kind of joy would you say? And Barry, would you? Well, I, there's joy to the world, I guess, but it's a little early for that, perhaps. <laughs> what I would say, listening to uh, to you and Jeremy speak, is that Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are about a quest for permanence, because our fervent desire is that we will make it to the next Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And Sukkot is about temporariness. And I think it's a recognition of our temporariness in this world and the fragility that goes with it. And as Jeremy said, that it's actually a good thing, that we're not going to last forever, and we're okay with that. The other thing I would note is that it so happens that the sukkah that I build, I build mostly myself. You know, all my helpers are away. And um, there's a certain satisfaction. What? They're busy with other customers. (laughs) Yes. There's a certain satisfaction. (laughs) There's a certain satisfaction in in creating a sukkah. So Sukkot, especially the first night, um, is very physical. And it celebrates the physicalness because we're outside. We expose ourselves to the elements. And um, we've created a home that we can actually dwell in, even though it's nothing like the home that we leave to walk into the sukkah. I don't think anyone would want to give that up. But for this week, it's important that we do give it up. So you know that you know, I, I want to take that I'm 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 jealous of you suburbanites. Um because you know we have the show we have Sukkot, um, and they're very full. Um, you know, especially you know, the first couple of nights of Sukkot and, and the first, you know, the the first second first and second day lunch after after Shul, it's like you can't get a spot, it's totally full, it's a it's like a communal block party feeling, um, and it's a lot of fun. But I, in my whole life, have only had, I think, my own sukkah, I think maybe not very many times. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know exactly. A couple times in Israel, you know. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm jealous of you having your own, your own home sukkah. That's, that's wonderful. The, the, the um... The joy of temporariness is one of those species of joys. In other words, it's a, it's about coming to terms with with mortality, which connects us to many many different themes. Certainly, the theme of Kohelet, which which we'll we'll, we'll set aside for for maybe another conversation. But um, there there are so many different aspects to this. You mentioned community and space, and the theme that I think about very often during Sukkot is that Sukkot focuses so much on the communal space, which is the outdoor space, whereas we have just been inside the the, the indoor space, and it can become a really stuffy place, you know, especially if, if we have, 
experiences with different kinds of ventilation. Jeremy was saying in your shul, you have you know window ventilation. There's something there's something um, quite beautiful about that, in the sense that you open a window and fresh air comes in, but it's also antique because buildings are not built that way anymore. And I mean, my synagogue is a fairly new synagogue. We we built it after the fire and dedicated in 2009. Uh, you won't see an, a window open to the outside in the sanctuary at all. You know, if it gets pretty stuffy, the, the thermostat magically kicks on and goes to a magical degree. Um, and that's that's a lot of air coming in, but it's circulating mechanically. Uh, there's something about being in contact with the elements in our climate. And I suppose, of course, in the original sukkah environment of uh, Israel and the Middle East, to be in contact with the elements and to be outside as a harvest holiday where you relax in the sukkah, where you dwell in the sukkah, where you celebrate in the sukkah, where you're with people and you drink a lot and you eat a lot and you're going inside and outside and visiting everybody. It's it's just the, the collapse of all barriers. And there's a certain amount of joy with that, I think. Yeah, I mean, um, it's, it's, I, I find it hard to guess or, you know, educated guess, like what certain things meant to ancient people. Um, they, the If you read the sources, it looks like people really did live in their Sukkot and not their permanent houses. And, and you know, the, their permanent houses were so much more primitive than ours. We really need that dose of, uh, of you know, temporality. Like, go, go out, you know, go from your permanent host, house and go to your temporary house, is, is the phrase in the rabbinic text. Um, go from, you know, from your house of Keva to your house of Arai, from permanent to, to temporary. Um, I, I don't know what it would have meant to them, but I think it's very, very valuable for us to feel like I'm not I'm not in this big, strong building with with air conditioning and ventilation and foundation and and permanent walls. But the breeze has to breeze, you know, breeze through me. Um, I think it's it's powerful. I want to just focus here on on the text that we say when we come into the sukkah. It's a beautiful prayer. Uh, it starts out, of course, we we invite the the celestial guests, which we'll get into, I suppose, in a second. But it says, uh, May it be your will, O Lord, our God, God of our ancestors, that your uh, divine presence rest among us. And you spread over us the tabernacle of your peace. We'll stop there for a second. Let your divine presence let it hover in us and let's have your sukkat shalom, your canopy of peace. Um, what is this imagery all about? What is this experience? What 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 is the prayer trying to evoke when you enter the sukkah? Uh, Barry, go ahead. I, I see it as a countertext to Yisker, the Yisker service on Yom Kippur, where we make when we recite the Amalei Rachamim, we talk about dwelling the uh, in the sheltering presence of God's Shechina, God's divine presence. And that is our hope for 
are dead, but on Sukkot, we're alive. And it's our hope, we sometimes forget that we also want that for ourselves. It's not just that we want our dead to be ensconced in the um, the sheltering presence of the divine, but we ourselves want that to happen. And I think that it requires a movement on our part that, um, you know, again, I come back to this idea of the temporary nature of the sukkah is a counterpoint to our temporary body. And it's finding joy in what we actually have sometimes and not what we aspire to, which is what dominates most of the most of our lives most of the year. It's so interesting what you said because because I, you know I, I learned a lot from you and I I've never juxtaposed Yisker with the sukkah. And I've certainly never juxtaposed it on the basis of the El Malay Rachamim, which is the memorial prayer, Tacha Confeshina, that we, you know, ask the that the souls of the departed dwell underneath the, the canopy of, you know, underneath the wings of your presence, and making this connection to, you know, Shetashreshkina Chabenenu, that your your presence would dwell among us. I've always gone into a different place. When I enter the sukkah, I'm always reminded of the debate in the Talmud as to what the sukkah represents. Is the sukkah the actual, an actual structure, or is the sukkah somehow shade? Are we trying to reenact shade? That is to say, the the shade presence of God, the sanctuary of God, the 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 embrace, the intimacy that is re- reflected by shade, which is why the sukkah spends, you know, we, we spend so much time focusing on the details of the the roof, how it gives shade, or are we talking about you know structure? And uh, I, I entered the sukkah thinking that I'm encountering here a sense of connectedness, that somehow I'm being connected to the presence of God, and the presence of God is manifest in you know the people around me, the people, my shul, the people that are coming in. It's it's fun. It's joyful. We're kibitzing. We're eating. Food is just a, a a great part of it, although there's no specific food for for Sukkot, which has always been a puzzle to me. Why why no specific food? But um, So in our family, we have a specific food. What's your specific food? Mar- marshall barley soup and stuffed marshall cabbage. Barley food. Okay. From, uh, from where? How nice. From Hungary. Hungary. <laughs> from Hunger or from no, Hungary? that's Carol. That's you know Carol's association. I and she you, you know a, generally is the cook, right? So I make a lot of uh, autumn foods, squash soups, and all sorts of. Right, well, you want something hearty. Yes, something yes. that'll keep you warm when it gets chilly at night. That's right. But uh, okay, so there's there's an encounter. So what I would suggest though is that what has happened with Sukkot is that the symbol of the Sukkot itself has undergone a transformation. I don't think it means anything like what it meant to our ancestors. And there are a couple of different explanations for what the Sukkot was. One idea is that this is what the the farmers lived in at harvest time because they couldn't keep coming back and forth to town to sleep because they had to devote every moment to the harvest. Another explanation that's sometimes given is that 
These are the hotels that people stayed in in Jerusalem when they came for the Chag. Sukkot being the one, the major pilgrimage holiday. But we don't really have those associations, and I don't know that they actually work for us. What does work is the explanation, I guess, in the rabbinic source that seems to be the least grounded in religious reality, in a sense, and that is that the sukkah represents the ananekavot, the clouds of God's glory that accompany B'nai Israel in the wilderness. And, you know, it's a beautiful image, but it's not really clear how it, the sukkah reflects that. Right, right? Because I get the idea conceptually, but how does that work in a natural sukkah? Shade, shade. Being in the presence of... It. Shade, shade is protective. Shade is comforting. Shade is and, yeah, right. But shade, I think, would be it's more important in Israel than it is here in America. Let's say. Well, I give you. A, I challenge you next time it's a hundred degrees outside to stand in the sun and see how you feel. I mean, it's not that we're turning quickly to a subtropical right. climate, but we we've had our extreme weather. We know, right? But it's also, yeah. I mean, we have to deal with the season. It's September and October. We don't really have hundred degrees. So, so, so you know, that's our association. That's why I think, you know, in in a sense, we're we're coming into something. We're coming into space. We're coming into a different a different structure, and the different structure has all sorts of associations for us, and and. It's community in the sense that you know the pres the sukkah is is filled with people, and the sukkah doesn't feel like it's full except when there's other people in there. I mean, certainly you can have a sukkah by yourself, you know. But but it's it's not only it's not only that it's, it's like the seder by yourself. Well, exactly. You know these. So the people, other thing I would add. Yeah. The other thing I would add is that over time, Sukkot creates its own family history and memory. Sure. And that, you know, as the years go by, it, we attach a, a lot of associations that have tremendous meaning for us. And, you know, the counterpoint to that, of course, is a Pesach Seder, a similar ritualized thing. And something that we frankly really don't have with Shavuot, yeah. which I don't see as a communal celebration. Well, Shavuot is also becoming a different kind of holiday now. There's an evolution to all of these holidays. Uh, Shavuot's becoming the learning holiday. Jeremy, in, in terms of uh, you know the prayer here, back to the prayer, I want I want you to explain to our many viewers and listeners. You know, there is a Kabbalistic valence here. Uh, it says bizchut mitzvat sukkah, and the merit of the mitzvah of sukkah shenachdem kaimin that we fulfill leyachada shema dekutcha brichut to unite God's holy name, and and there's there's so I want to say it in the nicest way possible that there's so many dimensions to this experience, and and you are inclined to the mystical. Can you share with us the mystical dimension of this experience that 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 will will kind of resonate? You know. Well, yeah. Okay. So, so um, there there would be a number of ways that I could that I could try to do this. Among them would be to note like the shade 
the shade symbolism, spread your shelter of peace over us. You are, I think that the Kabbalist feels that you are entering and you are really surrounding in, in a reflective, uh, what, what's that word, like contemplative way. Uh, you are in the divine presence. You're nestled in there, wrapped up. The clouds of glory uh, in the Kabbalistic manifestation, you know, you are in the Shekhinah. The Shekhinah is hovering over you. And like a, like a a parent wrapping a child in, you know, our kids are big now already, but like just imagine, you know, wrapping your kid up in, in, a, in a big towel after they come out of a, out of the bath or something like that. So I'll just give you one little wordplay that does this sukkah spelled samech vav kaf hey and our our many readers and viewers will know that in hebrew we have a tradition of gematria let the letters have numerical value numerology and so if, if they spell if you, if you if you look at the words you can unlock um uh, mystical meaning or or secret meaning so the middle two letters are kind of obvious, Vav and Kaf, that's Kaf Vav is 26. That's the numerological of, of Yud, Yud Hei Vav Hei is 26. So in the middle of it, of that word, is, is Yud Hei Yud he Vav Hei. But the other two words, Samech and Hei, that's 65. That's the numerological value of Adonai, Aleph Dalet Nun Yud. So what you have is the two manifestations of God, the the you know, full, full sort of more uh, recondite, more hidden yud heh vav heh and, and yud heh vav heh th those four letters also represent different male and female aspects of God. But broadly speaking, Adonai is, is, is more like associated with, with uh, uh, a, a, a little bit less, a little bit less lofty, um, you know, uh, uh, vision or, or connection point with the divine. So you have the, the Adonai part wrapping up the yud heh vav part all wrapped up into this little structure and you enter it and so you're completely surrounded with the divine presence and you know uh, there was a um young youngish man in, in my shul you know he lost his father this year and we were having conversations about um you know what's the point of religion this this young man happens to live in in uh crown heights and and so there's always Chabadnikim around him, and 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 you know he was having a conversation with him. what's what's the point of religion is to bring the Mashiach, and and you know to 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 get right with God, and he said like that's it. I said like yeah, well get right with God. That's 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 pretty good. That's the, that's the to have divine consciousness, um, to have a sense that you're that you are nestling your life. In the shelter of divine consciousness, that's pretty great. So pretty my good. feeling, my feeling, what what I try to in a contemplative way. Like so, so here's what I do. Like I like I told you, I don't have my own private sukkah, and when the sukkah is for public use, there's like you know dozens and dozens and dozens of people there. It's not it's not very contemplative, but before shul, uh, I like to go up, up to the sukkah with the with the uh, Arba Minim, with the Lulav and Etrog, and no one else is there. And uh, before Tefillah, I do, I do Lulav and Etrog uh, all alone in the Sukkah, and it totally works for me. And I, I tell totally you why, why I'm smiling, because the great Guy Lafleur, 
great hockey player. Gila who? Gila? Gila Fleur. Not Gila? Her not name wasn't Flower. Not Gila Fleur. Gila Fleur. Gila Fleur used to come to the forum two hours before the rest of the team. And he would skate alone on the ice before everybody, up and down the ice. And your Kavana in the sukkah reminds me of Gila Fleur. You know, Did he play for the he played for the Canadians. He played for the Montreal Canadiens, and and of course, what it suggests is that that there's a contemplative, you know, essence to the act, and that if you're if you're pouring yourself into it, you need that kind of kavana, which is what that prayer basically is. It's a a prayer of intention. Um, intention is so so vital to this holiday on so many different levels. You know, whether it's the sukkah itself or if we could just pivot for the last few minutes to to our Baminim. And 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 again, you know, you're holding uh these different species, the palm, the myrtle, the willow, and the etrog. Um, and I suppose if someone came to this planet from Mars and saw us doing that, they'd go like, What are you doing? <laughs> what? I mean, and we don't have to be people from Mars, people. Yeah, they can just be from the Upper West Side. <laughs> people from the Upper West Side are saying, what are you doing? I mean, what you're saying is they could be normal people because, you know, the Lulav and Netrog is one of the most primitive rituals that we have. And Hoshana Rabbah and the Hoshanot in general are difficult to explain to someone with a straight face that this is what we do. Well, um, why would you say that? What do you mean? There is a certain... What do you so it freezes you up? Well, the whole note. So, part of the, our Sukkot celebration is that we march around the synagogue with the Lulav and Etrog and recite uh, a difficult Hebrew poem um, that uh, most people stumble over as they recite it. And it's an invocation to God to remember that we need rain. Because the rainy season is about to begin in Israel, and we bring together these four species that the rabbis identified as in need of abundant water to remind God that on earth we need abundant water. But I don't think too many of us think that this actually is going to affect the amount of rain that comes in the coming year. And so it's a, a very primitive ritual, but there's a certain beauty to it. Marching around the synagogue, I think, always has a certain power to it. The Ark is open. The Torah is taken out. On Hoshana Rabbah, we take out all the Torahs. We march around seven times, not just once. And, you know, I, I think part of what Sukkot comes to remind us is that there are limits to our sophistication, that fundamentally we cannot escape our past, and that goes for us as individual human beings but it also goes for societies and civilizations that we have come from somewhere and that somewhere that we have come is important to remember into a port and it's also important to remember it was not as refined necessarily but still spoke to us as much as today i think we shouldn't want i mean i i agree with everything you just said um I think we shouldn't, we cannot escape those paths. We shouldn't want to. That's what gives culture its specialness. If you if you um, want to say that, you know, we really ought to strip away the kind of 
myth and poetry of of our rituals will be real boring. And and yes, it is true that the the stuff that we do, you know, from wearing cloaks that have little tassels on them to having leather boxes that we strap to our arms to, you know, reading a, a scroll that, you know, book technology left behind scrolls a long time ago, you know, or shaking the, the sticks and the lemons. Um, those are things that we've done. They have continuity. And we have, inf- we have filled them up with associations, midrash, poetry, allusions. That's what makes them beautiful. Now, it's also true that at a certain point, some of them will cease to work. Like for me, I'll just give you an example. I don't do Kiddush Levana. I don't sort of proclaim these blessings towards the new moon, you know, on the first Shabbat after Rosh Chodesh. Uh, I really think that's just weird. It just doesn't work for me. And so that's one that I personally just don't do. Um, But this one, even though you're quite correct, it, it really is. We're getting in touch with our, with our, you know, quasi-pagan rain dance, apotropaic magic, um, you know, shake the lulav so God will hear the rustle, so that God will remember to make the wind blow and, and, and make the rainfall, uh, you know, and the fertility, let's be, let's be subtle but direct and, and say that, that, that the, the fruit and the, and the, uh, and, and frond. The, the frond may represent certain organs of human fertility, um, you know, they're 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 kind of quasi-pagan, but I think they can still be uh, imbued with poetic meaning that we will still like. So let me let me share some poetic meaning here, because I, I while I enjoy the pagan experience of uh, shaking a little of and 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 connecting with with the past. I, I mean, I'm saying this facetiously. Um, there's something about creating space. As you shake the lula, as you you go in all these different directions. Now there are different permutations for the directions. You know, uh, east, south, west, north, up, down, or you know, according to others, you know, a different a different series of of directions. And all of that speaks to me on so many different levels. Um, I remember thinking about this quite a lot last year when when reading about the camp of the Israelites, or when reading connecting to the story of Abraham, where God says, and, um, I'm sorry, that was Yaakov, I'm not quoting the, the, these texts properly, but the idea that there's all sorts of directionality associated with these different characters, with Abraham, with jo- Jacob, and with Moses. Moses is also looking uh, to to different places and different kinds of he's 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 looking at different you know in different directions um, and here we are we are in this one set of coordinates and yet we're not in those coordinates we're in a a set of time coordinates that are eternal we're, we're that is eternal we're in a set of uh, spatial coordinates that takes us out of our bodies by imagination to 
different to the land of Israel and even to the temple. And that one last thing is when we wave the lulav, in, in a sense, we're we're becoming in our own little four cubit space a miniature temple. And I think, I mean, that that's quite poetic. No? <laughs> Absolutely. Would you would you would you approve that message? <laughs> I, I, I am. Uh, Jeremy Kalmanovsky and I approve this. Yes, I, I approve this message. I think most certainly it is poetic, and it brings us back then to something about the symbolism of the sukkah, which is that it is a froze. Say it again. Say what you said again. Okay. So what I would say is that it brings us back to the image of the sukkah, which on one level is the Ohamawaid, that yeah. it is the place where we go to meet God, and um, it's temporary, and it has all the valence of a temporary structure, and it houses the eternal God. Very nice, very nice. Amen. All right, well, we have reached the end of our time together. Uh, however you uh, conceive of your sukkah and the uh, Arba Minim and the experience of time and space and the experience of community and indoor and outdoor and joy, whatever your species is, we wish you a beautiful sukkot, a joyful sukkot. May it be Moadim L'Simcha, Chak Sameach, we thank you for watching. We honor you for all of your insightful comments uh, to our to our show. We look forward to seeing you in the next edition of Parshi Talk. In the meantime, hug some ass, everyone. Great to be with you.